0: Good morning. Nice to see you. Nice to be together. Uh, we're in, we're going to be in Genesis thirty four. This is a study that started out as one. and It became three. So we're th- we're part three today in Genesis thirty four. I'm going to uh, if you would stand as we just honor the word that way. And you at home, hope you have your Bibles. We love our Bibles, God's word speaking to us every time we read it, hear it. Memorize it, whatever, it's the voice of the Lord to us. So in Genesis 34, we have this story of Dinah, titled Two Wrongs, One Right. We'll look at that in a moment, but let me begin, just read a little bit of it, um, this story that took place, this messy story. Now Dinah, verse 1, Genesis 34, verse 1. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. So as we've said before, he raped her. Verse 7. And the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it, and the men were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not to be done. In verse 25. Now it came to pass on the third day, they made this Deceptive little deal with the men in Shechem. Get circumcised, then we can marry Dinah and all that. So, on the third day, it came to pass when they were in pain, the two sons of the two that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and became and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. And they killed Hamor and Shechem his son with the edge of the sword, and took Dinah from Shechem's house. And went out. So, Lord, we bow our hearts before you. We know that we, that our faith is by hearing and hearing the word of God. And Lord, we want to put this in the right place. The the high. It's just this is so important. So, give us ears to hear. I pray, Holy Spirit, the things that I prepared. Please take, break them fresh, feed us. We are hungry. We want to know the truth. We know the truth will set us free. We know the truth is what has released us. From our darkness and bondage and given to us a whole new view, a whole new understanding because of our relationship with you through Jesus Christ. And we would pray, Lord, if there's anyone that's listening, anyone that's right here now or, or whenever this is going to be viewed or, see, or heard, that you would, by the, by the word of God, bring them to a saving faith in Jesus Christ through the gospel. So bless our time now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I'm going to be seated also. I'm trying this new thing out here. I'm not sure I like it, but I'll keep doing it as long as, uh... is it okay with you guys if I sit down? Okay. <laughs> Two wrongs, one right. So again, uh, we're looking at this story in Genesis 34, which is kind of one of the ugly stories in the Bible. There was a rape that took place. Uh, Levi and Simeon found out about it, and they went and took care of business, but not as God would have them to. They took. They avenged themselves. They killed all the men in Shechem, not just the, the man who had done the crime. And so the, the outline of the chapter goes like this. Emotions can go wrong. And here, when I surrender to my anger, anger is a problem, isn't it? And we are all, I think, to some degree, experiencing some anger that, that we didn't know could actually surface as it has in what we're, what we're seeing. So number one, Emotion can go wrong. I surrender to my anger. Secondly, intentions can be wrong if I choose to avenge myself. We'll look at this this morning, but we are never to avenge ourselves. That's God's deal, and that's a tough one. And then finally, attention, God is always right. As I said, God is always right. Get used to it. (laughs) Or God is always right. Any questions? So therefore, I'm going to choose instead to surrender to God. So I want to look at these, these things this morning. So. Uh, the, the, the four things that we started looking at last week, as far as God's always right, you got questions, I got a lot of questions, how about you? It's a part of being human, it's a part of going through things we don't understand. God's not afraid of our questions, God wants to answer them for us, and when, he, when we don't have an answer, He wants us to trust, his, trust, trust Him for them. So we're, we're working through those kinds of things. So the first one we looked at last week, let's talk about our individual accountability to God. Secondly... Let's talk about our governing authorities as appointed by God. Third, let's talk about the abuse of vengeance. It's it's divinely wrong. And third, the use of violence against another human being. So last week, we looked at this whole important foundation, if we're going to understand the gospel at all, that we have an accountability to God and sin has left us all guilty and under condemnation before a holy, just God. God took care of that problem for us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you say amen? He took care of the problem for us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He sent his son to... to, The bad news is we're all condemned as sinners. The good news is that we, through Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven of our sin. We can be justified by God, just as though we never sinned justly. And we can have new life, a new start with God In a relationship now that he has promised to us through our faith and repentance before him for our sin and him giving us eternal life. What a deal. We're exchanging all of that for the gospel. So the question that comes out of that one is number one, have you confessed Jesus as Lord? We looked at that last week. But the second question for us who have is are you sharing the gospel? Are you sharing the gospel? The most radical difference this world has ever known is the gospel. Therefore, the more radical the world becomes, the more radical the gospel is. Can you say amen? I mean, the mess that we see that's, that's so, it seems like it's getting so much worse. The answer is the same. People are sinners who need a savior. God sent Jesus and the gospel is what sets us free. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So the root problem is sin. God solved that problem through Christ. And the root need is to be forgiven through the gospel. So the more radical the world becomes, this should be, I I think it would, I I hope it helps us to look out in this world that we see and understand there's a problem. It's called sin. That's what's systemic. (laughs) So we must Re centralize the gospel in how we are living. We must continue to to respond to God in the ministry of reconciliation which He has given to us. So we've been given this ministry to go in the world and plead with people to be reconciled to God because He made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God through Him. People are condemned and going to hell. The only answer is the gospel. And it's a glorious answer. And through the message preached, people get saved. And by the way, that means you too. We got saved because we believe God. Now, let's talk now about our governing authorities as appointed by God. These are all questions that go so relative to what we're going through. Same ones from this story. So, go to Romans chapter 13. Well, here we go. Romans 13. Key passage. And we're going to come back to this passage to close this also. So it's, it's interesting, these three things we're looking at today, follow up, have you have you received Christ, these three things are intricately linked. You almost can't separate them into three points. They all go together. So Romans chapter 13, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring... Will Will bring on themselves. And those who resist will bring, on, will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works but to evil. Do you want to be afraid of the authority? Do you want to be unafraid? Man, I've got to get my glasses on here. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good. And you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake before God. Governing authorities are given by God. They are appointed by God to avenge evil. Now that evil is as God defines evil. They're to carry out God's vengeance against evil, but it's to be for our good. So, as I look at what's going on today, the vast majority of our police officers are doing good by sacrificially putting their lives on the line to serve and protect our communities without respect of persons. You see, the governing authorities are appointed by God to avenge evil. They're to be God's ministers of good, but... Not every individual within those governing authorities is good. What happened to George Ford was not good. It was bad. It was evil. But the vast majority, the accusation of systemic police brutality is simply not true. Shame on us. And an earned and respectful to them. Thank you for your service. Thank you very much. First Peter, another important passage. When we come to these governing authorities, one Peter chapter two. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the to the king as supreme or to governor. Governors, <laughs> as to those who are sent by him for the puni- Notice now the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. So two things: number one, punish evil, and secondly, praise good. Wrongly, the exact opposite is happening at some of the highest levels of government. Authorities are punishing good and praising evil. This is a great difficulty. So what are we to do? All authority, law and order come from God. Lawlessness and anarchy are evil. They are rooted in sin and rebellion against God. They're instigated and powered by demonic forces in rebellion against God. So 1 Samuel chapter 15, important. King Saul has not obeyed God as the king. This is not a one time he had been consistently resisting God, doing what he wanted to do. I'm the guy in charge. So he, this final time, he disobeyed God. Samuel the prophet said, has the Lord as great delight In burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Note that. In his disobedience Samuel said it's like witchcraft. It's demonic. It started in the demonic realm at the fall before the fall. So here's the deal. The Godhead that is Father, Son, Holy Spirit is the supreme court, judge and jury. The US Supreme Court has handed down decisions that criminalize Living according to God's law, and it's, and it's aligning convictions by legalizing what God calls wrong and evil. This is a difficulty. So, listen very carefully, please. I do not condemn you for the choices you are making in how you live your life. I don't have to. You are already condemned because of sin. The whole world and all the world is guilty before God and without excuse. That's our condition coming into this world. So I do not condemn you. I have plenty of my own sin to repent of. However, if I really believe that God is the final authority, judge, and jury, if I really believe that you will be judged by God, If I really believe that whatever group you choose to identify with, not one person in that group can save you from your sin. If I really believe that sin is sin as God declares it and not how you decide it. If I really believe that the only advocate is the one who loves you so incredibly that he willingly surrendered himself to the most grotesque injustice this world has or ever will know when the pure spotless son of God (laughs) died on a cross for your sin because he loves you he was crucified so that you can be forgiven of all your sin justly by God pardoned and set free I believe that with all my heart because I knew my need. If I really believe that the only sin that will not be forgiven is the sin of rejecting the gospel, rejecting Jesus Christ, if I really believe, and I do, all these truths, then the most hateful thing I could do is not plead with you. In loving urgency, to acknowledge your great need to be reconciled to God Through the only one who can reconcile you has already through the cross. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believers, brothers, are you sharing the gospel? Jesus will stand for you, but you must confess him. You must ask him. It's a relationship. And you must desire that relationship. You must also understand that God has, has declared there's only one way. And he provided it. Which in my mind is so glorious. It's very simple. There's not four or five ways. You don't have to try to discover it. You don't have to go to heaven and try and find it out. Come to outcome. No, you just look at the gospel and you believe the gospel. Because that's what God said. And he's the authority. Final and done. It's not complicated but you must confess your need and you must ask him to save your soul from judgment and hell. And listen, he will. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from what? Sin and its consequences of death and final judgment in the second death. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, Whoever confesses me before men, him I I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. I want to say something to you. What I'm reading is God's word. This is what God says. This is what Jesus said. Not my authority, it's God's word. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Again, John chapter 3. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John 8 24, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. The only sin that will keep you from being saved and forgiven and reconciled to God is rejecting God's provision through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the true life. No one comes to the Father except by me. There's only one door. The simplicity of the gospel is the power of the gospel unto salvation. We're not going to be up there going, man, did you see why God saved me? Not happening. We're going to see the lamb as though it was slain. We're going to stand before him and say, glory to God has redeemed us every tribe and tongue and people. And, name. and we should be kings and priests to our God. I'm getting off here. I want to be careful. <laughs> First John. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. So what are we to do? All authority, law, and order come from God. The Bible, God's authoritative word declares what sin is. We looked at that last week. The Bible, God's authoritative word declares a saved life is a changed life. Can you say amen to that? Amen. The Bible is clear. You cannot say you know God and continue to live in sin. You can't continue you can't continue to carry on in known sinful behavior and lifestyles. These are mutually exclusive. A saved life is a changed life, or maybe the word better, is a transformed life. I'm not saying that a saved life is a sinless life, or that a saved life is a perfect life. I'm saying to you, a saved life is a forgiven life, a sanctified life. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, and by the way, may I remind you, this is God's word, not mine, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you, but you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And we say, amen. Amen. What I am saying is that a saved life is a new life, alive by the Spirit of God, has been set free from the law of sin and death. Sin no longer has dominion over me. Sin no longer rules my life. I'm no longer a slave to sin, and it's corrupting power in and over my life. And I say, praise be to Jesus. Jesus said, most assuredly I say to whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. We're all slaves to sin. We need a savior free from the penalty of sin past free from the power of sin present sin free from the from the very the, the presence of sin future i can't wait for the kingdom one more first john chapter 3 whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness And you know that he was manifest to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known little children. Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. Wow, that's pretty harsh. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. A saved life is a changed life. The the continuous present tense, you wouldn't necessarily read when I read it, is there's a continuing in sin. Someone who's saved does not continue in sin. Something's interrupted that whole thing. Now we're living in victory over sin all the time, not at all. But it's not a pattern of our lives. They are mutually exclusive. A saved life is a changed life. Now, what are we to do? All authority, law, and order come from God. We were once a nation under God. But today his authority and laws have been trampled underfoot, counted as rubbish, ridiculed and insulted from sea to sinning sea. My brethren, of how much worse punishment do you suppose we are deserving having been weighed in the balances and found wanting? Thank God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about our governing authorities as appointed by God. The question is this. Are you living under God's authority? Are you living under God's authority? Three questions. Are you obeying God's word? Are you praying for God to work? And are you ready for every good work? Are you obeying God's Word? If God's Word, the absolute and final authority for for how you live, is it that? In God's Word, we have the absolute and final authority for how we are to live our lives. So, from our website, we believe that the 66 books of the Bible, the Scriptures that make up the Old and New Testament are the inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word of God and are the infallible rule of faith and practice. The word of God is the foundation upon which this church operates and is the basis on which this church is governed. We believe that the word of God supersedes any earthly law that is contrary to the Holy Scriptures, unquote. Are you living under God's authority? God's word is the, are you obeying God's word? Second Timothy, Paul wrote, I charge you therefore before God, and Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead and in his kingdom. Preach the word. Preach the word. He's at a high level, that high place. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. According to their own desires, that's the problem. They have itching ears, turn your ears away from the truth, be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, do the work in advance, fulfill your ministry. Hebrews let us therefore be diligent to, to enter that rest lest anyone fall short, fall according to the, the same example of disobedience for the word of God. The word of God, the word of God. Are you obeying God's word? Is it the absolute authority for how you live your life? Secondly, are you praying for God to work? Are you praying for God to work? 1 Timothy, again in the context of the of the. Authority. First Timothy chapter two. Therefore I exhort first of all at supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks made for all men, notice for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved, to come to knowledge of truth, for there's one God, one meeting between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. My prayer is God, mend our every flaw. God, confirm our souls in self control. God, restore our liberty in law. God, shed thy grace on our nation once again. Are you praying for God to work? The final, are you ready for every good work? It's not complicated. Are you obeying God's word? Are you praying for God to work? And then, are you ready for every good work? Are you prepared for every good work? Are you zealous for good works? That's what we're told in the Bible. In Titus chapter 3, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Wow, that is hard today sometimes, is it not? Verse 8. This is a faithful saying. These things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Peter says, therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of God for the Lord's sake, whether to kings as supreme or to governors. Verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures given by inspiration of God. Call for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction. Righteous, what that the man and God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for what every good work. Load up the word and load up the work. And there's a ton of other scriptures that I I was blessed by as I look at good works all through the scriptures. So now let's talk about vengeance being divinely wrong. Romans chapter twelve is a key chapter. Romans 12 here in verse 17, it says, repay no one evil for evil. Really, that's a bummer. (laughs) Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Boy, when when evil's being done, it's hard to, you know, have that in sight. If it's possible, I love that. I'm glad that's there. (laughs) If it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. There it is. But rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, literally, I will avenge, says the Lord. Verse 20, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Oh, really? (laughs) If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Really? For in so doing, you will heap coals on the fire. He won't know what to do with it. It's going to bother him. Do not be overcome by evil. There's a little kid's song. But overcome evil with good. May I remind you, this is God's word. Let's talk about the abuse of vengeance being divinely worn, uh, being be divinely wrong. So understanding vindication, justice, vengeance, and revenge. Vindication is to be proved right. Jesus is going to be completely vindicated. Though crucified as a common criminal. Justice is giving people their due, whether reward or punishment. Vengeance is punishment equal to the crime. Therefore, revenge, the person who injured is himself injured. Revenge. So the person who inflicted the pain is punished. In the Bible, I'm never allowed to be my own avenger. Why is that? Because for me to take vengeance is evil because it's not going to be equal to the crime. I want to take two eyes because you took my one. And that's that's why we're not to avenge ourselves. No one likes a tie. We want to win. We want to hurt a little bit more than we were hurt. So how can I expect in my wounded state... To be unbiased. I will take it to evil. What God calls evil. This is why we are not to avenge ourselves. We must leave it to God. And you know and I know very well. That is difficult to do. Psalm 94 says this. O Lord God to whom vengeance belongs. O God to whom vengeance belongs. Shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth, render punishment to the proud. Long, Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? And how many times have you said that? How long, O Lord, how long? Let me say in the Bible, for sixty times that little, how long, O Lord, how long, O Lord? 52 in the Old Testament. In the New Testament is Jesus saying, How long shall I bear with you, the unbelieving disciples? How long, O disciples, how long? In the Old Testament, how long, O Lord? And prophets Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Isaiah, Zechariah all said, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? And it's the cry of our hearts in the midst of wrong and injustice, all these things, particularly when it is done against us. The final time in the Bible is found in the book of Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 6, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God, and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Lord, how long until you get back? (laughs) Then a white robe was given to each of them. And it was said to them, Rest a little while longer. Until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. It's not an easy path, but it ends in absolute and complete victory through Jesus Christ. So, the question on this one are you longing for Jesus' return? See, that's what it should tune in. A lot of wrong, a lot of stuff even to maybe myself, my family. Are you longing for Jesus' return? For the kingdom on earth to be as it is in heaven. That day when Jesus returns and writes every wrong. Are you longing for the day that Jesus returns to judge the world in righteousness and the people with equity? Are you longing for that day when Jesus returns and nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore? (laughs) Are you longing for that day when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea? How long, O Lord, how long? Rest a little while longer until the number's complete, until I finish the work that I'm doing. And on that day, we will be robed in white robes. We'll be walking with him in absolute and complete presence from the presence of sin itself to worship our Savior alone himself. Final one. Let's talk about the use of violence against another human being. Again, all these things just like, are we seeing this in in real time? Greater New York Black Lives Matters President Hawk Newsom said, quote, If this country doesn't give us what we want, then we will burn down the system and replace it, unquote. Uh, Martin Luther King wrote this, or said this. It was in a speech, The Quest for Peace and Justice. He said, quote, Violence as a way of of achieving racial justice is both impractical and immoral. Violence never brings permanent peace. It solves no social problem. It merely creates new and more complicated ones. Violence is impractical because it is a descending spiral ending in destruction for all. It is immoral because it seeks to humiliate the opponent rather than win his understanding. It seeks to annihilate rather than convert. Violence is immoral because it thrives on hatred rather than love. It destroys community and makes brotherhood impossible. It leaves society in a monologue rather than dialogue. Violence ends up defeating itself. It creates bitterness in the survivors and brutality in the destroyers, unquote. He was assassinated on June 6, 1968 in a ballroom. John, Senator Robert Kennedy, this is what he wrote, quote, What has violence ever accomplished? No wrongs have ever been righted by riots and civil disorders. A sniper is only a coward, not a hero. And an uncontrolled or uncontrollable mob is only the voice of madness, not the voice of people, unquote. Senator Robert Kennedy was assassinated two months later in a ballroom in Los Angeles. Actually, King was on a, a hotel balcony in Memphis, Tennessee. To see violence used against any human being should be a very disturbing thing. And there is hope if this is still repulsive to our most basic instincts. There's hope. There is something terribly wrong when violence against another human being is encouraged and applauded, applauded as being good, even as, quote, a right, I get to exercise. The violence we are seeing on, on our streets is disturbing, but it is nothing, or very little when compared to the violence that is done in secret, hidden so as not to be seen. <laughs> There is something terribly wrong when murderous violence against the most vulnerable of human beings, the unborn, is sanitized, legalized, and very profitable. Also is the hidden child abuse, domestic abuse, sexual abuse, elderly abuse. There's something terribly wrong if you are the perpetrator of such evils, you need to repent. You need to get help. and You need to know your need for the mercy of God. If you will not, I pray you get caught so as, as to end such evil. And that God may grant you repentance, the acknowledgement of the truth, and that you may come to your senses and escape the snare of the devil who's taken you captive to do his will. Those are tough things. The use of violence against another human being the question is, are you loving your neighbor? Am I loving my neighbor? We come back now to Romans to close. Let every subject soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now same chapter, Romans 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything. Talking about taxes, customs, respect, and honor except to what? Love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled law. We have a debt in the sense that God has so loved us. And what he's saying is, I want you now to love people, to love one another. You'll have an inexhaustible resource because you'll have my love with which to love others. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. Murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. In the context of violence, vengeance, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. He continues, verse 11. And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of our sleep for now our salvation nearer than when we first believed. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, you who are saved, let us give ourselves to love whatever time we might have left. Therefore, let us cast off the works of, the night is far spent, verse 12, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. The ugly Bible story raises questions. This one. It's interesting our current problems raise the same so I leave you with the five questions have you confessed Jesus as Lord that's the beginning of a tremendous journey and then are you sharing the gospel are you living under God's authority in your life are you obeying God's word are you praying for God to work are you ready for every good work are you longing for Jesus' return? Amen Amen is amen. Finally, until he comes, are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Two wrongs, one right. God help us. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word this morning. I have been so challenged, so convicted, and yet so encouraged Knowing that it's you who works in me. And Lord, we, we would want to personalize that it's you who works in us to will and to do of what pleases you. And so, Lord, my prayer, would you stand with me as we stand before the Lord? Lord, our prayer is that you'd hear our hearts cry to put into practice the things that we're hearing in your word. Knowing that your word is the authoritative rule by which we are to live. Knowing, Lord, that as we seek to obey you, you always back it up with the power of your Holy Spirit as believers to do the things that we're called to do, to yield ourselves as instruments of righteousness unto holiness, to, Lord, resist temptation, flee the devil, flee these other things, And Lord, many times you're calling us to do the exact opposite of how we feel. So I pray and ask, Lord, in Jesus' name that you would help us to bring our faith to the place that's leading our feelings, that by this we overcome him, our faith in you. We love you, Lord. We bow before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you've accomplished for us. We thank you that you've gone before us, and thus you lead us in victory. And Lord, we stand before you praying for our nation. Asking, Lord, to be merciful to us as a nation. Asking, Lord, to upright your church and upright us and wake us up, Lord. Please, as we've come to you, wash us, cleanse us. And then, Lord, I pray and ask in Jesus' name that we would march out of here fully equipped for every good work, zealous for good works. And that we would be your feet, your hands, your voice, your eyes, your ears, your disciples. Lord Jesus, that's our prayer. And as we close in this song, we offer it to you. In Jesus' name, amen.